Good morning, Renewal. Welcome to another weekend of our Stay at Home Sunday morning podcast. Get comfortable and prepare to move through the next part of the story of Gideon with me this morning. One of the things I was thinking about this week was how uh, different details in these stories in the book of Judges have been standing out to me this time going through it and studying it and and reading through, and hopefully for you too, as you hear these different sermons, maybe uh, God's bringing different things to light that you just haven't seen before. I think part of the beauty of our walk with Jesus is that uh, there's an infinite depth of wisdom, an infinite depth for growth that we can uh, discover as we continue to walk with Him. And so hopefully we're people who are growing and changing all the time. I think about when I first absorbed some of these stories as a kid, and even the stories of the judges, and you know, uh, certain judges just never really made the cut into the children's stories. I think of Ehud, the guy that you know stabbed the dagger into someone's stomach and stuck in the fat, and you know, the assassin in the king's chamber, and and uh, that story didn't make it into the children's book. Uh, neither does Shamgar, the guy who killed six hundred Philistines with an ox goad, and and uh, I don't even remember hearing the last part of Deborah's story, that part where Jael. The tent-dwelling woman uses the tent bag and and kills the general. And, you know, as we're getting into the story of Gideon, the last half of that story never really gets mentioned either. But one part of Gideon's story that was emphasized in the children's books is the part of the story that we're looking at today. That's when Gideon asks God for a sign. I think it's a super relatable story about one of God's servants feeling you know, some inkling of guidance from God that he's supposed to go in a particular direction, but he really wants a sign of confirmation, some signal from God that this isn't all just in his head or this isn't all, you know, some foolhardy, weird uh, religious thing he's gotten in his mind, but the actual living God of the universe is giving him divine guidance. Um, I think it's relatable because I think in many ways for for me and, and maybe People like us who are living in uh, our faith out within the context of a, a branch of Christianity that believes that God speaks, that believes that he interacts with people in real time, uh, I think some of us will feel at times, like, is God really leading my life? Is he really calling me to do this or do that? And um, So this story, is, this story is a great one, and hopefully we'll learn something as we read it today. Uh, if you remember from last week's part of the story, uh, Gideon has received a call from God to be the deliverer for Israel. And step one of that call was to tear down the idols in his village. Uh, through that, he got the name Jerubbabel, which means let Baal contend with him. Uh, and, and then uh, to set the stage for the next part of this story, what happens is there's this coalition of Canaanite forces that join together and come up into battle against Israel. And so we are in Judges uh, chapter 6 and verse 33. It says, all the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the eastern people joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Verse 34, then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and he summoned the Abizrites to follow him, and he sent messengers from Manasseh, calling them to arms, and also to Ashtar, Zebulun, and Naphtali. So they too went up to meet them. And then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised, then look, I'm going to place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. And if there's dew only on the fleece and all the ground around it is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. 
And so the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Gideon, he blows the trumpet, an army's been mustered, you've got a number of tribes of Israel that have sent troops to help, the enemy is coming in, this coalition of Canaanite forces and Midianites, and and, uh, anyhow, we're quickly approaching the point of no return, right? Gideon's about to go into battle uh, where people will die. And it's like, just to be sure that this isn't a terrible mistake, he sets this fleece before the Lord. He says, God, if you really want me to do this, then I'm going to put a fleece, a wool fleece out on the ground. I want, in the morning, I want that wool fleece to be soaked with dew, and I want the ground around it to be dry as a sign that you are telling me to do this. Verse 38, it says, that's what happened. Gideon rose early the next day, he squeezed the fleece, and he wrung out the dew, a whole bowl full of water. Now, the fleece is full of dew. I I don't know what typical dew is like, but it seems like the whole point of a bowl full of water is that, uh, that the, the author's making a point, hey, let there be no mistake. The fleece is soaked, the ground is dry, just like Gideon prayed, and we will receive this as the Lord's guidance. Good enough, Right? We're, we got our sign, we're ready to move, time to go to battle. Well, not quite for Gideon. <laughs> you know, and maybe you've been like this if you've ever prayed for a sign or for guidance. I know I have at different times in my life, and, and you think, boy, if God just speaks in this way, then it's all going to be really clear. Uh, but then God does speak. I think of, in particular, when I was in YWAM, uh, we were at the point in our discipleship training school where we've, we're wrapping up uh, three months worth of lectures and we're getting ready to head out onto, into three months of outreach, doing just kind of evangelistic missionary work in, uh, and there's three different locations we can go to. And, uh, and we as students are all supposed to pray about which trip we are going to go on. There's one to Africa, there was one to Cambodia, and then there was one to New Zealand. And, uh, and so I went off to pray about it, and I really felt strongly that the Lord laid a verse address on my mind. I just felt like I had this verse address laid on my mind. Uh, I forget exactly what the verse was today, but um, what the address of the verse was. But I had this verse address, and so I look it up, you know, book of the Bible, chapter, verse. And, uh, and it's this portion of, of Scripture where uh, God is, is saying, talk, one of the prophets is talking about Israel, and he says, he says, out of Egypt I've called my son. And, and I just felt like as I read it that God was saying to me that I was supposed to go on the trip to Africa because you know, my vast geographical knowledge knew that Egypt was a part of Africa. And, and I felt like this, this is a sign from the Lord, right? I guess I know where I'm supposed to go. And, and you would think that's enough to then go. And for Gideon here, the fleece is wet. That's good enough to go. But, uh, but Gideon says to the Lord, hey, don't, don't be angry with me. This is verse 39. But let me just make one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. This time, make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. And so uh, for me, I was feeling like I'd gotten a word from the Lord. I'm supposed to go to Africa. Uh, but then lo and behold, the day comes for all the students to share where they feel that they're called to go. And, you know, three quarters of the school all feels called to go to Africa. And so our leaders are like, everyone needs to go pray again, 
because there's too many people going to Africa. And so sort of like Gideon, we all come before the Lord again, and we're like, well, don't, don't be upset with me, but I need, I need uh, more guidance. I need another confirmation of where you're calling me to go. And so Gideon sets up this thing saying, uh, I want the fleece to be dry this time, and I want the ground to be wet. Verse 40 says, that night the Lord did it. This time the fleece was dry, and all of the ground was covered with dew. And I know for me, as I prayed for another sign from the Lord, uh, I was uh, sitting in the apartment flat of some of my schoolmates one day, and there was a Mickey Mouse coloring book sitting on the coffee table. And I picked it up, and I just started thumbing through it, uh, sitting there bored. And and uh, come to find out, this coloring book was uh, a story of Mickey and Goofy and Donald uh, going on an African safari. And on like page three of the coloring book, they say, we're going to Africa. And it was like in that moment, I just felt like, here's my other sign. I think God is calling me to go on this particular outreach. Um, anyhow, you notice in this story uh, of Gideon that God answers both of Gideon's requests for a sign. Both times, God produces the specific results that Gideon's looking for, and I know when I've read this story before, I just think of God guiding humans in general. Uh, I imagine God's posture to be one of irritation. Like, oh, how many more signs do you need? How, how, many, how much more do I have to say? You know, what more should God have to do? Here, Gideon has seen the angel Lord face to face. He's heard the voice of God. And, and as Gideon's obeyed the Lord, torn down the Baal and the Asherah pole, the Lord has protected him. He's raised him up. Gideon's blown the, tru- the trumpet, and troops actually showed up. You know, imagine Gideon going out to blow the trumpet for war, feeling like he's God's appointed leader, and all he hears is crickets, and he's got to march off to battle on his own. Like, things are going his way. God is covering him. And yet, it seems that, even though all the details of the story show that God is with Gideon in undeniable ways, yet here he still is asking for a sign. And it's like, I imagine God annoyed, right? Like, which one of these circumstances could you cite that would give you any reason to doubt? So I picture an annoyed God. But nothing in the text says that this is an annoyed God. Nothing indicates that Yahweh is annoyed with Gideon, which really leaves me no option but to admit that in picturing an annoyed God, in that sentiment that sits in my heart or mind as I read the passage, What it's really showing is how much I tend to project myself into my understanding of God. It shows my tendency to make God in my own image rather than to just deal with the God as he's presented in the Holy Scriptures. Now, I I don't want to have to tell anyone more than once. So I assume God doesn't want to have to tell anyone more than once either. And yet, what kind of a portrait of God begins to be created in my own mind when it's a God of no second chances, right? Or a God who's impatient, a God who uh, gets angry, rather than a God who doesn't seem to mind gently moving his people towards obedience. You know, I think the God in Scripture is far more committed to to gently moving his people towards obedience in whatever time scale that may take than I am. Uh, I just have to admit, I'm much more impatient than God is. I think God's more concerned with getting us there than he is concerned with how quickly we're going to walk. And James Dieter is always obsessed with how quickly he thinks people around him should be walking. 
In this case, God gives Gideon the sign that he asked for. And when we read a story like this, one of the questions that then comes up is, what does this all mean for us? Does it mean that believers should ask for a sign before they do anything, a confirmation from the Lord? Does it mean the believers shouldn't ask for a sign? Um, and I know that one tendency we'll have is to, is to read a story like this, and we end up getting caught in one of the two extreme views. You know, on the one hand, you've got believers who, who tend to just assume, and this is probably a somewhat culturally unique to the Western world, but we tend to assume that God's desire for our life is whatever we desire for our lives. You know, favorite, favorite verse is Psalm 37.4. Uh, which is the psalm about God giving you the desires of your heart. Uh, but they only like the second half of the verse. It starts off saying, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Well, this is a God who gives me the desires of my heart. Um, never mind that if you've delighted yourself in the Lord, probably the desires of your heart are going to be in line with what he wants. So that's one extreme. Yet on the other extreme, you maybe have, and and I've known believers like this in, in my time, believers who tend to be paralyzed in prayer, never doing anything, just seeking out the divine word of the Lord uh, before they decide which shoe to tie or which route to drive to work. And those are slight exaggerations. I don't know anyone who's actually been that uh, paralyzed by it. But you know people who tend to not do anything and are just waiting for uh, a sign or another sign or another sign. Keep asking. One principle we can, we can take away from this story is, is to say this. In the past, God has used signs to confirm his word and guidance. And so number one, is there any reason for us to believe that he wouldn't still do this today? And there's no reason for us to believe that through scripture. So then could it be in a specific scenario that you are facing, especially big decisions, because it's not like Gideon put the fleece before the Lord because he wanted to know where to plant his crops. Like he's getting ready to lead people to battle where, where people are going to die. So could it be that in specific scenarios in your life, especially high stakes scenarios. Could it be that God would want to to speak a word to you and then to use a sign to confirm his word to you? I know for me, uh, this is a principle that I have tried to live by, and it's a principle that the effort in trying to seek the Lord and, and ask for confirmation has been really, really fruitful in my life. Not because it's led me to making all the best decisions and never making mistakes, but because it's led me into a more intimate and close walk with Jesus. As I truly seek to hear his word speak to me, and I trust him to confirm what he has said uh, through different uh, situational signs. Another thing this does for me is, is it brings up one particular story from the Gospels uh, when I think about this whole subject. And uh, <laughs> there's this line in Scripture where Jesus, he, he says something about only an evil and wicked generation would ever ask for a sign. And I'll be the first to admit that Gideon is not uh, the, the greatest role model for walking with the Lord. And so I, I think it's at least worth mentioning uh, this uh, Scripture before we wrap this message up. Um, that passage is from Matthew 16. Uh, in the story, uh, one day the Pharisees and Sadducees come to test Jesus. They're demanding that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. And, and Jesus replies to him. He says to them this. He says, uh, you know the saying, red sky at night means fair weather tomorrow, and, and red sky in morning means foul weather all day. You know how to interpret the weather signs in the sky, but you don't know how to interpret the signs of the times. And then he says, only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign 
but the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. And then Jesus leaves them and he, and he goes away. You'll notice in this that, that Jesus doesn't deny them a sign. Even as they demand it, he says, this is the sign you're going to get, the sign of the prophet Jonah. So just like Jonah spent three days in the belly of a fish, the Messiah is going to spend three days in the belly of the earth. Uh, he, he says they're evil and adulterous, uh, asking or demanding a sign. But we know that one of the reasons they would be classified as evil and adulterous is because they've been ignoring all of the signs of Jesus's ministry up to this point. Everything that would have pointed to this guy is clearly the Messiah. There's this story earlier in the Gospel of Luke where John the Baptist is asking Jesus to confirm who he is. Is he really the Messiah? And he sends his disciples uh, to Jesus saying, hey, are you really the Messiah? Should we be looking for another one? We want some confirmation here. Jesus says to them, go back, report to John what you've seen and what you've heard. The blind have received sight, the lame are walking, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the gospel is proclaimed to the poor. He says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. John wants confirmation. He wants a sign. Jesus points to what he's been doing. The Pharisees are there on the front lines of Jesus' ministry. They're always there. They see everything he does, and yet they're still demanding a sign. And it's like, how about the sick being healed? How about the dead being raised? I mean, what what more could you want than that? And so they're wicked because they're demanding a sign while they're living in denial of all the signs that Jesus is constantly giving. They're demanding God's uh, presence and blessing in their lives. They're demanding that God is on their side with them. All the while, they are denying God's authority, and they're denying the legitimacy of God's work any time that it doesn't measure up with their preconceived notions. So Gideon's desire for a sign in his story seems really different than the Pharisees, and I think our desire for a sign or for confirmation of the Lord needs to be different than the Pharisees as well. Gideon's desire seems to be motivated by uh, an, an honest, an earnest desire to be obedient to God, to not have excuses to disobey, but just to be sure that before he marches off to battle where the stakes are so high, he says, I, I want to, I, I think it's reasonable for, for me to ask God of a little more confirmation. In fact, you might even consider it foolish to not ask God for confirmation. And this, is, this tends to be a struggle for people who are trying to uh, be led by the voice of God in our lives. It can be really difficult to decipher the difference between the voice of God and the voices of our own appetites or desires. And so uh, one way that God can help differentiate that is when he confirms things through his word and through, through uh, different signs or, or confirmations of his word. Um, Another safety net for all of that is this whole idea of living our relationship with God out in community. And so when I feel the Lord leading me in a certain direction, especially if it's a high stakes decision, I'm not going to just have that entire conversation in my head with God myself. I'm going to invite other people who I trust, brothers and sisters in the Lord, into the process and say, these are things I'm weighing. These are things I'm praying about. These are things I feel the Lord encouraging me to do. Can you, by the Spirit of God who's in you, lend any insight you might have, confirm the truth of what God is saying, or maybe confront me in areas where I'm off? We could say a wicked generation demands a sign, uh, but I think the righteous servant humbly will ask God for signs and confirmations of what he's doing. I love this part of the story of Gideon because we see in it a portrait of a deliverer who is earnestly seeking the will of the Lord. 
He's not rushing to conclusions, even based on the past revelation that he's had. He's not rushing to conclusions or being set in stone on things, but in a fresh, honest way, he's seeking the Lord's will for this day. And we've talked about before how in the end, these judges are all meant to point to Jesus. And Jesus, like Gideon, pushed forward on his mission based on the direction that the Spirit was giving him. At one point, Jesus says he doesn't do anything that he doesn't already see the Father doing. And to this point, I think Gideon is demonstrating a positioning of himself for success as he's obeying the Lord. And we know that Jesus overcame sin and death through his own obedience, through his humble obedience. Jesus opened the door of salvation that points all of humanity forward on the road to reconciliation with God. And because of his humble obedience, Jesus was lifted up and glorified and given the name above all other names. And so for us, if, if we trust and obey God like Gideon, if we submit ourselves in humble obedience like Jesus, we, are, um, we receive a great amount of assurance in Scripture that if we'll live in this way, God will accomplish the purposes that he has called us to. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your guidance in our lives. We ask that uh, your Holy Spirit would be near to us, that our ears would be open to hear your voice, that as we receive different revelation for you, particularly for the high stakes decisions or directions of our lives, that you would be confirming your word through uh, the circumstantial signs around us, through the encouragement of our church family, uh, that you would uh, speak to us and, and lead us so that we can be people who are truly led by your spirit, uh, living for your kingdom. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.